Hey, we're glad you're all here tonight. Tonight we're going to launch into a brand new series. We're going we're to take four weeks and talk about love. Love is the Mount Everest of all subjects. It is the Pacific Ocean. And because love is such a huge subject, the Bible has over 1,500 references to the subject within it. There's no way we, we could try to even try to cover uh, all, all that the Bible has to teach about love. I, I, don't, I don't even want to try to do that. I don't want to try to overwhelm you with scriptures about it. I really don't even want to revisit things that you've probably heard over and over again. It's, it's inevitable. We're going we're gonna to visit some things that you've heard before and, and uh, obviously visit some scriptures uh, about love. But my heart, my goal for us over these next four weeks is for you to to come away with a, a, new, a, new discover, a new discovery about what love is, a new discovery for your own life, and that it actually it isn't just a subject, or certainly not a painful subject, and not something that, uh, that uh, maybe some, something out of your experience or uh, that has caused that to be something that would be unpleasant to you. I want you to fall in love with love in, in the best sense of the word, okay? So our theme verse for this full series is found in... In uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 30, and it says this, Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Okay? So that's our, th that's our theme, and, and we're going to revisit that several times. And so for us to start in this series on love, I I'm going to start with, with this passage of Scripture. And uh, so, we're, so if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Mark chapter 12. In the context of, of uh, when Jesus brought this up, was Jesus was in, uh, in a process of teaching and discussing. He got into a situation where those that were experts in the law, those that were uh, religious leaders, as they like to do often with Jesus, uh, they didn't want to just acknowledge him for who he was. They didn't want to receive him as the word of God. They didn't want to receive him, certainly as the son of God. They didn't want to receive him as the Messiah. And so... Because their hearts were hardened, and because in a, in a way for them to humble themselves and to worship him and to accept him and to receive his teaching, uh, he was a threat to their system. He was a threat to their authority. He was a threat to their power. And so there was, there was these, these men who, because of their own pride and because of their own position and the, and the power that they had garnered for themselves as religious leaders in the nation, they were constantly challenging Jesus. They were constantly arguing with Jesus. They were trying to find something that he would say, something that he would do that would, would uh, cause him to stumble in the eyes of the people, that caused him to be able to be caught on some sort of technicality or, or some sort of legal issue that they could, they could disprove him, that they could discredit him. And they were, they were obsessed with this. And so they were in this process and they were just peppering him with questions. There was... Two main schools of thought among the religious leaders. There was, and there was uh, kind of a division 
uh, you've never seen division in politics, have you? <laughs> no. I mean, no. usually everybody's always unified. In a, you know. So it wasn't Republican and Democrat, but as, as voracious and as, as contentious as, that can, as, as we've seen that in our own nation in terms of the leadership of this nation, there was this, there was this in the religious leadership, and in Israel during that time, their religious leadership was their political leadership at the same time. So it was a, it was a religious nation. And so there was two uh, schools of thought. There was a group called the Pharisees. How many have heard of the Pharisees? And they were, they were the kind of the dominant group. They were the larger group. They were the, I won't say more popular, but they, but they had the, the most influence. And these guys uh, studied the law, studied the, the word of God, and they, were, they prided themselves on having you know, memorized the first five books and, and uh, uh, believed themselves to be the voice of God on the earth. They believed themselves to be the authoritative uh, expression of, of what God was saying and what God was doing. And they believed, uh, rightfully so, that there would be a, there would be a time uh, of life after death. That after we lived our journey on this earth, and we died, we'd go to heaven, and then there'd be a, what the Bible describes as a resurrection of the dead, and that we'd have an afterlife. And so that, that was an accurate interpretation of what the scriptures teach. But there was another section of this religious leadership that didn't believe in the resurrection. And so they were constantly trying to uh, get Jesus to say something that would actually disprove or, or, would, or Jesus would, would show himself as favoring one political or one religious side than the other. And so these, these, and this other group was called the Sadducees. So there's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And sometimes as you, as you read through the scriptures, you'll see uh, Sadducees confronting Jesus. Sometimes you see Pharisees confronting Jesus. Sometimes you'll see it described as scribes confronting Jesus. Sometimes you'll see it described as lawyers. And these, these were all, uh, a scribe was a person who was literally that. His, his job or, as part of the priesthood was to, was to write and transcribe the scriptures and to, and to help make additional copies of the word. I and mean, they didn't have printing presses like there, so every copy of the scripture was a handwritten copy. And a scribe was a person who was so dedicated to the word of God that he dedicated his whole life to actually writing the word of God and getting it absolutely perfect. Okay? Lawyers were people who looked at the law of God and it was their, their job or their profession or their uh, emphasis to study the law and interpret the law. And when there were civil issues... They would, they would make judgments, they would make interpretations, and they would help govern the nation according to the law of God. Right? So the Pharisees were, were teachers of the law and scribes, and Sadducees were the same, but they had different interpretations. And so anyways, I'm taking a long time to set this up, but Jesus was in the process of arguing with a group of Sadducees. And they brought up this whole issue about, and they came up with this, this story that says, All right, Jesus. The culture says that when a man marries a woman and he dies, that culturally the, the wife is to marry his brother as to, to continue to take care of the family. Okay? And this was something that was in the culture and it wasn't a biblical mandate, but it was something that they had adopted. And, and, uh, and, and they came up with the story says, well, so what happens? There was one wife and seven brothers and each one of them died. And here was their zinger question. In the resurrection, whose wife is she in heaven? And Jesus' answer was, you, you don't understand at all. In heaven, 
They're not married or given to marriage. But, but like the angels, you are sadly, seriously mistaken. And when Jesus kind of just slammed the door on this hypothetical story and didn't at all uh, refute the power of, of the resurrection life, the eternal life. When Jesus slammed the door on the Sadducee, the Pharisees were kind of going, yeah! And, and all of a sudden, he, he, had, he had gained some popularity with them just by the fact, because they, these guys were always fighting and quarreling. So this launches in, for, for whatever reason, this opened the door for this one religious priest to say, well, he, he handled that really well. I mean, this is something that, they, that they've, that this, they tried that trick on us a lot of times and we've always stumbled over it. And he just, I mean, he just, with authority, just, just slammed the door on that. They're never going to use that argument again. And so he said, and, and it was like, it was like for the mo that moment when Jesus spoke with such authority about heaven, about eternity, and he would know. I mean, it's, it's his home. It's his eternity. It's his system. He, he said, I mean, he was just as authoritative about eternal heavenly life as he was about earthly life. I mean, he came to reveal heaven to us. And when he spoke with such authority, it's like the light turned on with this guy who said, wow, uh, I, I, think, I think I can approach this guy with, with a question. And, and so let's, let's pick up the story. Verse 28 of Mark chapter 12. And one of the scribes came and heard them arguing. He heard Jesus arguing with, with, the, Pharisees, with the Sadducees. And recognizing that he had answered them well, Asked him, okay, so, so now he saw, he saw this guy, he saw Jesus kind of close this, this raging political uh, religious debate and it, and it gave him enough confidence to say, well, I'm, now I'm going to ask Jesus the question that's most on my heart. I'm going to ask him the big one. I'm going to ask him if... It, if he, if he really knows what he's doing, and if, he's, and if he really knows the heart of God, and if he's really who he looks like who he is, then he should be able to answer this question. And this obviously was something that was just really heavy on the guy's heart. And, so, and, so, and, it, and, it's, a, and it's a great question. His question was, what commandment is the foremost of all? So you imagine a guy who spends his entire life studying the law his entire life writing the scriptures, he's got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ordinances and uh, commands from the throne of God. And in his mind, probably being very you know, legalistic, probably being very organizational, probably being you know, someone who wants to honor God with his life, he, he's got all these, he's immersed in all the laws of God and he wants to prioritize them. He's saying, with all these things that God has commanded us to do, and we're, and we're constantly having to make decisions about people's lives and, and trying to, to weigh you know, very difficult decisions, what do you say, Jesus, is the greatest commandment? What's, what's the biggie? What's the number one? What's, if we're going to put one at the top of the list, what is it going to be? And this is what Jesus answered. Jesus answered, the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. But he didn't end there. He says, and the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment 
greater than these. The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and there is no one else beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. Jesus kind of just put all of the raging debate to rest. With these guys, they, they, they couldn't get enough of challenging them. They couldn't get enough of arguing them. But when he, when he put everything, everything that God has ever commanded, everything that God has ever asked of his people, he so succinctly placed it into two concepts, two, two commandments. He says, nothing's greater than this. And, and this man who had spent his entire life studying the, the law, transcribing it, uh, making it his, his entire, everything that he, that he lives for, when he heard that answer, something leapt up inside of him and he says, that's right. God is one. Our commandment, in fact, this, 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 this declaration, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, is, was the opening, was before God even rolled out what, was, what is now known as the Ten Commandments, was, was the, the command to, that kind of was the basis of all of God's commandments. This was what God wanted to establish in their hearts first. Hear, listen, pay attention to this. God is one. And, and then the scriptures. Now, now this, this, uh, this statement from Jesus was actually pulled from different places of the scriptures. And he made it, he, he succinctly pulled it together into one beautiful thing that we have now in the New Testament. Okay? But, but the scribe heard it and he went, that's it. That's absolutely right. God is one. And for us to love him with, with all of our mind, all of our understanding, with all of our strength, with all of our, with all of our soul, and to love our neighbors. You know, that's better than, than this entire religious system that we're a part of. And the religious system was based on this. If you make a mistake, if you make a sin, if you, have any of you ever sinned? <laughs> just, just checking. Yeah. The system was built on this constant process of people hauling animals to the temple to be slaughtered, have their blood poured out, for these offerings to be burnt and uh, sacrificed. And there was always the smell of smoke and roasted animals, barbecue. And there was always blood. And these scribes and these Pharisees, these people who lived their entire lives in the presence of God in the temple, were, could never go in, in and out of the presence of God without traipsing through a, a, this entire scene of blood. Because people were constantly having to offer sacrifices to atone for their sins. And, every, and, and, and when someone wasn't, wasn't um, fully committed in their heart to God, they would, they would kind of get this attitude, well, you know, I could live however I want as long as I just, you know, slap a, you know, a bull on the barbie, God will forgive me. Right? I'll just pay God off. I'll, 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 I'll do what I want to do and I'll do what I got to do to get God to appease my sins. And this, this was breaking the heart of God. It was breaking the heart of the people. They, they, they were caught up into this, 
do it and then pay for it and then do it and then pay for it. And, and the scribe was drawing from the scriptures. They got to a point where God, was, God actually said this in the scriptures at one point. He says, I am sick of your sacrifices. I am sick of your festivals. You, you guys, your hearts are far from me. You say that you love me. You say that you worship me, but your hearts are far from me. You just, you just like playing this religious game, but, but, you, but you don't really mean it. And there's got a point where God says, I, I, the smell of your sacrifices is like a stench in my nose. And this scribe had, had heard this plea from God from you know, years before, before Jesus came on the scene. And he said, that's right. If we were to love God with all of our lives and we were to love one another, th that means so much more to God than us walking up with a big lamb and saying, well, here, you know, here, take this sacrifice. You know, that should pay for my sins. Because it's better for us to love and to live in relationship with God with a heart that is dedicated to him and a, and a heart that lives it out in the way that we live than us living any way that we want to and then trying to pay off God in the back, in the back end of it. And, and when Jesus had said this, the scribe just lit up. And when the scribe was able to describe with so much enthusiasm what Jesus was saying, Jesus saw, you, you, you got it. You're, you're very close to the kingdom of God. It's right there in front of you. What would be some reasons why loving God and loving others are the foremost commandments. What, what, I want you at your tables to come up with some reasons. Why, why do you think God would choose loving him and loving people as being the, the first and foremost commandments? Of all the things that God has told us to, to do, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't covet, don't steal. Why is loving him and loving other people, why is, why is that number one as far as God's concerned? They're his creations. You should have respect for what he created. Wow, that's really good. Did you guys hear what she said? To love him and to love one another is, is showing respect for what God has done. For the very fact that he's, I mean, we are all his creations. And so it's, it's not for us to, to determine, well, I don't like what you made, God. The very fact that God made us, for us to love him and love each other. Oh, I like that one a lot. You guys are good. I like this table. How about you guys? Well, the general consensus here was that uh, in loving God first, as we love God, then uh, we don't want to sin. And mm. as we love others, then we don't want to sin against them. Wow. And so, yes. I like that answer. So as you fall in love with God, you have less tendency to, to, to want to offend him or to disobey him. And when you fall in love with each other, you have less tendency to want to offend one another. That's, that's a good answer. How about this table? Relationships are the most important aspect of our life. Yes. And love is a choice. Mm -hmm. And so we choose that loving relationship with God and with each other, we're, we're fulfilled. So God wants us to make the choice of relationship in a loving relationship with each other and with Him, and that's what fulfills us. That's what actually causes us to fulfill a reason for our existence. That is a good answer. When we live in love, it unites us. Right? And isn't that the first thing He says? Hero is God is one. And we'll get into that more. But yeah, absolutely. Love is the very thing that unites us with him and with each other. Oh, that's good. Enough. Okay, who did we, did we get you guys yet? Well, uh, similar to all of you, but uh, we focused on uh, if we're truly loving God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, then there's not a lot of room for error there. If we're already focused on him and then focusing on loving each other, where's the room to sin? <laughs> that's good. So, so we focus on loving him first and each other then that, that shortens that gap of missing him. 
Because if you're loving them, you're not missing them. You're loving each other, you're not missing each other. Oh, that's good. How about this table? It keeps us connected with the Creator. Connected with the Creator. Keeps every, that everything is in place. Keeps everything in place. Now, did you, did you guys like those answers? And did you like hearing each other's answers? Did, did we miss any of the tables? No, we covered them all, right? All right. That was fun, wasn't it? Okay, well, let's go on. Now let's look at, the, let's look at those places in the Scriptures where Jesus drew the, his answer from, okay? And the first place that we'll find the answer, the first part of Jesus' answer, was found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Now let me set this up for you for a moment. The nation of Israel, remember they, had, they, had, uh, they started in the, in the land that Abraham was sent to. And Abraham walked and sojourned in this land for a, a period of time. God said to him, Every, everywhere that you step, I'm going to give it to your children. And it will become the inheritance of, of your family. Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a son, Jacob, who became Israel. Israel had 12 sons. And one of the sons, Joseph, was sold into slavery by his brothers and ended up down in Egypt. Was in prison for figure about 14 years of his life. Spent in prison time or in slavery. But there came this miraculous promise of God that, that he would be raised up and he actually was promoted to the number two guy in all of Egypt. At a time when there was coming on the land and on, on the whole region for nations all around, this severe famine. And God had given Joseph this wisdom to make this plan and to, and to execute a plan that Egypt saved up enough food that they were able for seven years after that to actually feed the world. And the world was coming to Egypt to receive uh, allocation of food so, so the world could continue on. And Joseph had this, this great favor with God and with man and with, and with this, at the time, the most powerful nation on the earth. And so because the food was there and Joseph was there, the whole family... Jacob, the 12 sons, and, the, and there was about 70, 70 to 72 of them at the time, all moved down to Egypt. And they settled in because, you know, you know if the President of the United States was your uncle, <laughs> and he was saying, come on, move in. You know, the whole family would pack up and move in, right? Well, they moved in and they stayed. And they stayed. And they stayed. And they never went back home. And as time went on and generations went on, they went from being in that first generation, maybe even that second generation, this, this favored family of, of the great leader of the nation, to they came to a point where these people and the people of Egypt kind of probably got resentful, probably forgot about, you know, oh, what's his name who saved our bacon so many years ago, so many generations ago. And the people of Israel, they kept growing as a nation, they kept growing in numbers, but they actually became slaves. And they became the slaves of the people of Egypt. So 430 years later, God's people who went down to Egypt in great victory and great triumph and great authority were the slaves of the nation. And they were crying out to God, God, please free us. And God sent them a deliverer. You guys remember that guy's name? Moses. Moses. And Moses was sent and anointed by God. And actually Moses miraculously grew up in Egypt, in, in the throne of Egypt too. But he walked out because he saw, he saw his Hebrew uh, brethren uh, abused. And he went and hightailed it and went out in the desert and became a shepherd again. 
God found him out in the desert. <laughs> 40 years of being a shepherd out there. And he says, no, nah, Moses, I got a plan for you. You're going back in. You're going to set my people free. And you know the story. You've, you've seen the movie. And, um, <laughs> How about reading the book? When, yeah, you, some of you may have read. The book actually is better than the movie, by the way. Um, in the nation of Israel, the night of the Passover, when the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost, they were set free. And they crossed over that Red Sea, and they're, now they're on the other side, and they're out in the wilderness, and all of a sudden, you've got this nation of slaves who've been miraculously saved by God, and God wants to make a nation out of them, a nation of his people. But they knew nothing but slavery. They had no law. They had no order. God wanted to make a nation. Could you imagine a nation with no laws? A nation with no government whatsoever? And so God says, okay, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to establish some rules around here. We're going to establish my law in your hearts. And we're going to establish my authority in you. And so they, he brought them to the foot of this mountain. And he says, Moses, I want you to come up to this mountain. And I'm going to give you the way that I want the people to live. The Bible talks about the presence of God was on top of this mountain. And there was smoke and there was fire and there was lightning. And, and his voice was was so loud and rumbling that the earth shook and the people were scared. And they, and, they, and they cried out, please tell God to stop talking. He's scaring us. And Moses was gone so long that they, that they being just kind of undisciplined slaves, they started going right back into idolatry. And by the time Moses came down with the law of God, they were already seeped back. They made themselves a golden calf and they were, you know, it was a mess. <laughs> It was a mess. A bunch of Christians, probably. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that, huh, John? Forgive me, brothers and sisters. But God loved them. He gave them his law. And really what he was saying to them is, I'm holy. I want you to be holy. I want you to be like me. I want you to live with my rule, my authority, my life in you. And we'll talk about this more later, but I really believe that when God says you should you shall have no other gods before me. You, you, you shall take my name. You, 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 shall, you shall make me holy in, in your midst. And because of who I am in the midst of you, you won't kill, and you won't lie, and you won't steal. You know, we take those thou shalt not, and we, you know, we make them laws, you know, rules, you know, kind of wagging the finger. But I really believe God was, was saying, if you actually live with, with, like what we've been talking about, with, if you live with love for me, it won't be in you to do these things that would be offensive to me or to one another. And this was, this was what God was imparting to them. And, and, he, and he, they spent time together and he established the, the tabernacle and how to worship and, and, and all, these, all these ways for them to be a nation of a people who loved God. And then he said, okay guys, it's time to go back to that land that I promised your father Abraham. It's time to go back and take your heritage back. You've lived 430 years in Egypt. It's not your home. Your home is in this place that I promised for you. It's time to go back. And so they're about to march back in and they get to the, they get to the border of it and they go, hmm, there's probably people living there. And they probably won't feel very good about us just marching in and taking our land back. So, we, so yeah, I mean, would your neighbors decide, you know, hey, I want, I want your home. You know, we're just going to move in. 
they, all of a sudden they kind of realize, well, this, this might be more difficult than we thought. And so they decided to send some spies in to go check it out. And the spies came back. Ten of them said, oh, we can't do this. Two of them said, yeah, let's go. God's with us. Ten of them said, no, I think we'd get trounced. And the people listened to that bad report. And everybody says, nope, let's not do it. And it ticked God off. He said, after all I've done for you, you, you can't believe that I would, I would take care of you. I would do this for you. I'd go before you. I promise you, I'll be with you. I mean, you're afraid of me at the top of the mountain. What do you think my enemies are going to do? I was speaking life and love to you. What do you think if I came against your enemies? What I could do to them? But, but they didn't believe it. And, and he said, all right. Because of their disbelief, not a single one of them, that whole generation, all those people got saved, saved and set free from their slavery in Egypt. Not a single one of them are going to get to go into that promised land except for those two guys who came back with a good report. And the whole rest of you, you get to just walk around the desert and die and your children are going to go in. And so for 40 years, that nation walked around in the desert as God led them and they died off. Estimates are over 2 million of them. Kind of sad, huh? Amazing, huh? Now, they went to the presence of God and they ultimately entered into their promised land, but they didn't get to fulfill in their own lifetime what God had promised for them. I'm telling you that whole story because Deuteronomy 6, this word Deuteronomy, what it means is the second telling of the law. And what had happened was it came to the end of those 40 years, Moses knew that he as well wasn't going to be able to go into that promised land. And he was now speaking to this next generation. All those first generations had died off, and now he's speaking to all those kids who they had grown up. 40 years later, and they're about ready to go into the promise. And Moses says, I gave this law, I declared the law from the throne of God, from the, from the mountaintop when God spoke to me, I gave it to your fathers, your mothers. And they didn't believe it in their hearts, they didn't live it out. And so they died in the wilderness. So I'm going to give the law to you now. And so here's this old man now, about 120 years old, Patriarch, this man who spoke face to face with God, and he's, now he's going to tell the law to the children. And so the whole book of Deuteronomy is the second telling of the law. It's, it's, it's God imparting this, this life, this promise to the second generation. And, and this time, before of just plowing into the Ten Commandments, this is what God said. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Before he gave them any kind of rules and regulations, he wanted to understand, kind of like we said, uh, is one God. I want you to be one with me, and, the, and, and what I want you to do more than anything else, with everything within you, just love me. Just love me. And then everything else will fall in place, okay? So... That's that, and, that, and when Jesus was asked, what's the first, first commandment? He didn't go back to the first telling of the commandment. He went back to the Deuteronomy statement. And he went back, guys, you got to understand, this is, this is the heart of the Father. He's one God. And you should love him with all that you got, all that's within you. Everything that you think, everything that you feel, everything that you are, all of your strength, everything that you got, love him with all of that. Then he wrapped in uh, two... Um, statements out of Leviticus. Now Leviticus was when God was establishing this first law. Leviticus chapter 19. 
Okay, let's look at this. Leviticus 19.2, God was uh, telling Moses to speak to the congregation, to the sons of Israel, and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. God does not reserve his holiness to himself. God actually believes, intended, for the very nature of his perfection, of his unity, of his wholeness, of his holiness, to be the identity of his people. That, that they were to hear this word, because God is holy, we're to be holy, all right? And then at the end of that chapter, it says, and he gives a whole list of things, and we'll get into that one of these weeks coming up here. But I want you to see this part that Jesus lifted up. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. And then this is the part that Jesus picked up. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Okay? And so this is where Jesus got those two as the two greatest commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your all your soul, and all your might, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he, and he wedded those together as the foremost commandment. Okay, the foremost commandments. And I, and I just want us to jump to see one other thing. We, and some of you in your, in your circles have already kind of picked up on this. In 1 John 4, 7 8 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. Let's say this together. For God is love. All right, so let's, let's look at our next discovery question. I, I want you to key on, in on this truth because I believe that this could, if you, really, if you really let this start to sink in, this will revolutionize your concept of love. This will revolutionize your relationship to God. Because look what it says here. If God is love, what does that indicate to us about love that we've never considered? For example, if God is love, then we could say, in the beginning, love created the heavens and the earth. Love created the heavens and the earth. Not just some awesome power. He wasn't awesome power. But he is love. It was love. And we kind of talked about that. When we honor and love God, we're honoring what he created. We're honoring what love created. Okay? Here's another example. If God is love, therefore, someday, we will all stand before the judgment seat of love. You know, a lot of us, you know, kind of live in trepidation. Well, what's going to happen before, when I be, stand before God in, in, in accountability for my whole life? We got to realize when we stand before God, we're standing before love. Now, he's right and he's holy, but he is love. What other things do we know about God that you may or may not have looked at through the filter of God is love? And so, therefore, things that you've attributed to God, what could you attribute to love? Okay, how do we do? Got some answers? Counselor, leader, parent, um, son, master, forgiver, redeemer, teacher. Okay, so let's let's take this off. Let's do this because let's just talk for a moment. Thinking, you may view some already have some of these answers, but let's think about this. Love is our healer. Comforter. Love is our comforter. Love is our counselor. Love is our leader. Love is our parent. Love is our 
Love is our master. Love is our forgiver. Love is our redeemer. Love is our teacher. Love is all powerful. That's good. Love is our guide. What'd you guys come up with? Very similar. Okay. Very similar. Um, love is, is grace and mercy, forgiveness. Okay. Grace and mercy. Forgiveness, love is grace. Love is merciful. Love is forgiveness. What else? And we're made in the image of God. We're created in the image of love. Created in the image of love. That's pretty good. Okay, what you guys come up with? You guys are ready. Love is robed in majesty. Love is robed in majesty. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. What else you guys got? Love is accepting. Good. And you can't, and you can't earn it. Love can't be earned. You can't earn it. You can't buy it back. Love can't, can't be bought. You, you don't owe a debt to love. Yeah, you can't. That's good. That's good. What'd you guys come up with? Discuss like maybe the more we love, the more we become like God. The more we love, the more we become like Him. That's exactly good. That's exactly right. Okay, this table. What'd you guys come up with? Uh-huh. Love, love is patience. Love is kindness. Okay. Love. Love is never in a hurry. Never gets frustrated. No. Real love. Remember, the name of this series is Real Love. Right? It's patient. It's never frustrated. Never hurry. It, it's always there, right? And it's love is always kind. Hmm, that's good. How about this table? God is, is um, I mean, love is God's expression uh, uh, here on earth. God expressing himself here on earth. Love God's is God's presence. It's him expressing, expressing himself. himself that's so good. <laughs> when we come into the presence of God, we come into the presence of love. When we come into the presence of love, we come into the presence of God. I love that. How about this table? I heard you guys saying some really neat stuff. I was over eavesdropping. Well, if God is love, then we need not fear the future or, or any circumstance that we find ourselves in because everything is filtered through His love for mm -hmm. us. Oh, wow. Love made us acceptable. Mm -hmm. So we can trust Him. It's like love conquers all. Yeah. Be confident. God's love. He cares. Are you guys hearing what they're saying? Love is in your future. Love is your future. Love always is. If God is eternal, love is eternal, right? Never yeah. fades. Yeah. And so, so you don't need to be af afraid in love. In fact, there's a scripture we'll, we'll attach on that. There, there is no fear in love. Mm -hmm. So, so when, we, when we press into God, we press into love, it, it dispels our fears because he's, he's our protector. He's the source of everything. And that love is your protector. How about this table? What did you guys come up with? Love is abundant. Love is plentiful. Wow. Love is omnipresent. Love Lo does miracles. Wow. We hold back on love. We hold back on God. Character shaping is love. Love when you confront. We can't love without knowing God because God is love, which is why there's a lot of unauthentic love in the world. All right, so there's a lot of counterfeit love. And I think whenever we think something negative about love, you're not, you're not thinking about what love is. The real thing is perfect. The real thing is everywhere. Love is everywhere. There's nowhere you can go to get away from love. Love is perfect. Love is always there for us.
love does miracles. Love is miraculous. If you, did anybody need a miracle? Yeah, we all do, don't we? We all need a miracle. How great, how great of it, I mean, think about this. When, if you're up against it, financially, physically, emotionally, relationally, and, and you're, I mean, you're, you're at a crisis in your life. Now, you can get upset, frantic, demanding, angry, vengeful, hateful, worried, or you can say, oh, I just need some more love. Love is my answer. I just need to receive and become more immersed in love. And love will meet that crisis. Love will meet that need. Anybody said love is truth. Love is truth. Love will never lie to you. People lie. People lie when they're telling you they love you. But real love will never lie to you. John 17. All right, I could, I, we, could, we could do a whole series on this one, but let's, let's just imagine this. What's the context of John 17? John 17 is the true Lord's Prayer. You know, we call the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. How would be that name? Because that's how he taught his disciples to pray. But this is Jesus' prayer. He was about to be betrayed, just about to be arrested. He was on his way to the cross. This was his last recorded conversation with his heavenly Father. And this is what he said, the glory which you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. Now, now let's just stop there for a second. What, what are some of those themes that we already heard? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You sh I am holy, therefore you shall be holy. This, this is exactly, now, now Jesus, Jesus wasn't, wasn't teaching a crowd here. This was him with his disciples within earshot, him speaking to his heavenly father, he said, what you've given to me, I've given to them. Who, who you are in me, I've given to them, that they may be one, as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you've loved me. Jesus knew that he was loved because God is love. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you've given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I've known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I've made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus identified everything that he identified, his relationship with the Father, all of the glory of the Father, all the power of the Father, the name of the Father, the presence of the Father, he, 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 it, it just rolled off his tongue. And the reason why I have that is because you've loved me. And because you've loved me, I've loved them. And I want them to be immersed in it. I want them to know it. I want them to feel it. I want them to experience it. The, the same love. Jesus 
didn't have any conflict whatsoever imagining God Almighty loving you just as much as he loved Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we, we, must, we, must, we must really think, well, of course God loves Jesus. I mean, he's Jesus. But Jesus' thought was, no, he loves you just as much. And, I, and, and his prayer was, oh, that they would just know it. That they'd experience it. That they'd be, they'd be immersed in it. Okay, so let's, let's look at our last question here. What do you think Jesus would consider the fulfillment of his prayer that we, us in this room, would be one and that we would be perfected in unity? What would Jesus consider the answer to his prayer that we would be perfected in unity? What do you guys, what did you guys come up with? Uh, undivided love. Undivided love. Our love was not divided. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by dividing? Because we're all individuals, so we can't help that we have this selfishness. A selfishness. We, we, think, we think of ourselves as, so as just in about me, for me, about me. But if we're all united in God's love, then we're going to be focusing outward more, not just on ourselves. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is getting our, getting our eyes off of ourselves right. and into God and on each other, and that brings us into the, the perfection of unity. Good. Okay, what did you guys come up with? If we were united in love, we would be more like God, more like Christ. And that would be a deeper level of love. If we were united in love, we'd be more like Him. And that would be the deeper expression of what love is. That's the big answer. And this is the one that's the hardest one for us to get there. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall be holy because I am holy. That they may be one as you and I are one. This is what Jesus was saying. We see ourselves as less than. We see ourselves as fallen. We see ourselves as sinful. We see ourselves as wormish. And he's saying, when you come into me, you come into my love. You come into the divine nature. You come into the very essence of who he is. He, that's right. We, we're no longer separate. Because we've said this a hundred times. God is life. Sin is separation from him. That's death. The only way to get back into life is to get back into Him. Get back into love. Get back into unity with Him. If it, to, to the degree that we see ourselves separate from Him, we're, we're separating ourselves from, from everything that He has for us. We've, we've got to have that same passion that Jesus does. I've got to be one with Him. And if I'm one with Him, guess what? I'm one with everyone else too. And that's, that's why it's loving him and loving each other. It, it, it's unity. It's unity. That's, that's, the, that's, that's what brings about completion, perfection. That's what's put together. It's, and, it's, and it's a state of divineness. We're not bringing God down to our level. He's raising us up to his level. What would you guys come up with? Well, when we surrender to God's will, instead of living selfish, self-centered lives, then we become transformed to his character and likeness. You know, we, we're all growing to be more and more like him. Right. And that, that love so if we'd stop focusing on the things that are divided about us, stop focusing on the things that we disagree about with each other, stop focusing on the things that we don't like about each other, and focus on what we have in common is in him, that actually brings us into that unity and that perfection. Oh, that's unity of mind, singleness of mind, yes. You stop being selfish, then you can love God with all your heart because you're not, you're not putting your agenda in the way. When all of our prayers about, are about us, right? 
If my prayer is, okay, God, got your attention, so here's my list. <laughs> right? I want this, 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 and this, and this. And by the way, could you throw in this? All for me, 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 me. How many of our prayers are like that? And I want it now. But what, what if our prayer was about, God, I want what you want. Bring about your purpose, your glory, your agenda. Fulfill your will in me. Whatever it is that you, that you got, I want what you got. Not you give me what I want. Right? That's what you're saying. Remove the, if I remove the selfishness, that's what we've been saying here, then all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, his agenda becomes my agenda. Boy, that, then, then the love is right there. Now I can't love him with all my heart. Because I, I don't have all these other things in my heart keeping me separated from him. I love you enough to not want you to change into the image that I want you to be. I love you enough to not want to try to conform you into my perfected image of a Mark who does what I want. I love you enough to want God to show up in you. So that you become so much like God that I become so much like God, that our, our common goal, our love, is for not for us to fight about what we want each other to become, but we're both trying to become like who he is. Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, that, do you see the barriers just crashing down? Mm -hmm. The things that divide us, the things that cause the arguments and the hatreds and the fights and the divisions, the very, the very thing that brought Jesus to give this answer was, was he's in the midst of this religious conflict where the people were supposed to be leading people to God. They were arguing about mindless, useless things. He says, get your mind back. He's one. Love him with all that you are and love each other the same way. And then we can't help but be right on target exactly what God has for us. That's part one of love. Is that good? Okay, so let's pray. Let's pray and, and we'll be done for tonight. Father, we thank you for who you are. Forgive us for wanting anything else. May who you are be our passion, our sole desire. And may we so love you with everything the way that we think, everything the way that we feel, everything the way that we say, everything the way that we do, and we so recognize your presence. You're everywhere, all the time, all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect. May we recognize you in everyone else too. And may we love you inside of them and not see anything else. Because when we love you with all of our hearts and we can love you inside each other with all of our hearts, then your prayer would be fulfilled, Jesus that we'd be perfected in love, in unity. We hear, Lord, you are one, and we want to love you with all that we are and love each other the exact same way, that you may be glorified and that the world may know who you are and may see who you are through our lives. That's our prayer. That's our desire, that we would no longer try to argue people into your kingdom, that we'd do it the way that you told us we'd do it, loving them right into your presence. And that's our prayer tonight in Jesus' name, the name in which we believe. Amen. Amen. Amen.